Welcome to Samuel's Persiflage. It's uh, good to have your company here for this show coming to you from what's currently a sunny and uh, rather warm Canberra, which is, of course, the capital city of Australia. Uh, Today on the show, we'll have a little look at the uh, naming of Samuel's Persiflage. Why is it called Samuel's Persiflage? I'm sure there's a few of you out there scratching your heads at what is this word. Uh, we will talk a little bit about uh, John Kerr, one of 2UE's uh, presenters who 2UE seem to want to move for some strange reason, despite the fact that his audience don't want him moved. We'll be talking with Dave Smith from the Plain English campaign about uh, Plain English, what it is, what the Plain English campaign does, and uh, a few interesting little bits of gobbledygook that they've found and uh, highlighted in their recent Plain English award, so we'll have a little look at that. Got a few news stories that have caught my eye lately. Uh, that should be interesting. We even have an email from a listener. How odd. First episode and we already have an email. It's, uh, well, we'll go and have a look at that one. Of course, if you want to send an email, you can. Podcast at samuelgordonstuart.com is the address for that. We'll also be talking with Gary Floyd, a teacher librarian who at one stage was a radio disc jockey. He's got a few interesting little stories to tell there, so uh, I hope you can stick around. You're listening to Samuel's Persiflage. exactly is Samuel's Persiflage, I hear you asking. Well, it's, uh, of course, a podcast with myself. It's very much an interview-based program, uh, very conversational. We will just talk about various topics and various issues and just have a good time in general. Oh, nothing too serious, just a bit of uh, light talk. The title should be fairly self-explanatory. The first word, Samuels, is is pretty obvious. But uh, persiflage might not be so obvious, so we'll just have a little look at that. Answers.com defines uh, persiflage as light, good-natured talk or banter. It also describes it as a light or frivolous manner of discussing a subject, and I think that that pretty much uh, wraps it up. They also have in here a definition of it as uh, frivolous bantering talk. Uh, well, maybe, maybe. We'll see what happens. But, uh, well, hopefully we'll get to carry on with this a few times, uh, talk to a few interesting people about a few interesting topics, and just generally have a good time. So that's pretty much my plan, I, I hope you enjoy it. It appear that uh, Radio 2UE in Sydney have made a very unusual and very unpopular decision. They've decided to move their weekday overnight announcer, John Kerr, to weekend mornings. Now, that might seem fairly frivolous on, on the surface, 
but it's very unpopular with uh, with his listeners. See, uh, John has a very, very close relationship with his audience, and, well, he's been with them for 11 and a quarter years, and he's really built up quite a relationship with them. A lot of people, especially those who can't get to sleep at night, just love listening to his show, and he just chats about various things, and it's just a really good show. And the listeners, just including myself, really don't want him moved to weekends. So what we're doing, we're writing and calling 2UE, protesting about their decision. John Kerr is on leave for four weeks, so we've got about four weeks to get this all sorted. Now, John has a rather large overseas audience. Apparently about 20% of his audience come from overseas via the 2UE web stream, www.2ue.com. Now, that means that, uh, especially in the US, it's the afternoon when he's on, so a lot of people sort of listen to him at work and just enjoy the show because it really is a bit of a good-natured talk show where people just seem to get along very nicely. And a lot of the people are very upset at this move, and all week he's been flooded with calls from people saying how upset they are. So... You might be a John Kerr listener. If you are, then I'm sure you've already heard about this. But you might also just want to help us save John Kerr and not have him move to the weekends. If that's the case, uh, there is something you can do. Write to the station manager, Radio 2UE, P.O. Box 954, St. Leonard's, New South Wales, 1590. Of course, if you're outside Australia, then you might want to add Australia to that so it actually gets delivered. Alternatively, you can uh, can sign the petition, uh, www.samuelgordonstewart.com forward slash petition, and uh, just, just leave a message there, and I will mail that off to Radio 2UE. And... There is some progress being made. A lot of people are very unhappy with this decision. And 2UE are really going to get quite a bit of correspondence. They've already got quite a bit of correspondence. Hopefully they'll listen to their audience and keep John Kerr on because we really want John Kerr overnight on weekdays because we just love his show. So uh, anything you can do to help would be greatly appreciated and I'm sure John would love your support as well. Plain English campaign in the UK has helped to eliminate a lot of the gobbledygook that governments and businesses have put out over the years. Joining me on the line from the Plain English campaign is Dave Smith. Dave, hello. Hello. How are you? Uh, I'm fine, thank you. That's good. So um, what exactly is the Plain English campaign? Well, as a campaign, uh, what we try to do is... um get public information in a, written in such a way that it can be read and understood and acted upon with uh, straight away. Uh, it, what we're talking about is clarity in written information. Right. So what sort of things help make the written language clear? Um, there, there, are, there are many different things that can help. Um, the Reducing legal jargon, uh, technical terms, things like that. 
Uh, I think what the most important thing is uh, for a writer who's writing to the public is to try and think about the public's needs when you're writing. So if you have, if you are using technical terms, try and explain what's going on, things like that. Also, there are many other sort of little bits and bobs, uh, like uh, don't use Latinized phrases. Um, try not to patronize um, as well. Um, try and keep sentence lengths to between 15 and 20 words, but that's an average. That's an average. Right, right. So, uh, the plain English campaigns you've held recently, uh, they've certainly highlighted a few examples of good uses of the language and some bad uses of the language. I noticed in there um, the Helton Borough Council had probably the worst thing I've ever read. Um, it's just this incredibly long piece of babble which I think is trying to tell me where a path is going, but it just doesn't seem to make any sense. Yeah, uh, that, that particular one is, uh, like you say, it's a 600 and I think it's 32 word sentence <laughs> um, that, that describes, uh, it's what it is, is, it took us a while to work it out actually. Uh, it's uh, showing the position of a path where it is at the moment and where it's being moved to. Uh, right. Now the interesting thing about this is we, we recommended when we saw it that they just draw a map. Yes. Uh, because it, what it was is they put it out uh, to the local community and asked, basically asked them if this was okay to do this, but the people in the area didn't understand what they were asking, so they couldn't approve it or complain about it either way. Mm. I um, I have to wonder if, if they actually thought that the citizens would have a tape measure because it's all telling us that it goes... Uh, in an east-north-easterly direction for approximately 28 metres to a point approximately 202 metres, which east-south-east of some other part of the town, it just, it just goes on and on and on. I it's actually, ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, I just I had trouble finding uh, what it was saying because it wasn't until I read it about the fifth time that I actually spotted somewhere in there it does start going through it all over again with different figures, <laughs> which uh, just it, didn't make sense. So, in that case, a map would certainly help, but um, obviously you'd need something written about it. What, what would you recommend they write for that? Well, a, a short introduction. Um, it's, the map on its own, you're quite right, wouldn't, wouldn't sort of suffice. I mean, a, a small introduction explaining exactly what's going on in clear plain English, you know, speaking to a person as if they're sat in the room with you, you know, what we plan to do is this, mm. uh, we would like your input on this, etc, etc. Um, I mean, Halton were accused at the time of trying to hide what they were trying to do. Now, I've actually spoken to the lady at, Hi at Halton who, who was uh, involved in this, and she, she assured me it wasn't the case at all. Uh, well, it, she would, it's wouldn't it's she? an example of a piece of information slipping the net, which happens in large organisations. Hmm. I, I I wouldn't exactly expect to have expected her to say that yes, we were trying to cover it up, and that certainly well, wouldn't have been true as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was uh, also the Welsh First Minister. Um, I don't know how to pronounce this. Uh, Rodri it's, Morgan. It's pronounced Rodri. Rodri Morgan. Um, the only thing which isn't up for grabs is no change, and I think it's fair to say it's all to play for except for no change. What's he going on about? Uh, a good question. 
uh, we, we're not exactly sure. He was. It, it was. Uh, it, it was. It, he said it during a, a debate on policing in this country, uh, and it's an example. I mean, the thing we, we, we've got to emphasise here about the foot in mouth and the golden bulls is they are supposed to be light-hearted and a bit yeah. of fun, but at the same time, there's a serious side to it. Uh, and what Rodri did there is anybody who's who's done public speaking will understand is uh, that they've lost their concentration for a moment and just finding themselves wandering down a cul-de-sac and lost the you know where they were going. Yeah, that's uh, fair so enough. that one was nominated, um, and we just found it funny more than anything. Mm. Well, I'm sure it would have been funny at the time when he said it too. Yeah, <laughs> I believe so. I believe people. Uh, in the in the assembly at the time, we're sort of looking at each other in sort of a very confused way. I can well imagine. Um, so, would it be fair to say that uh, one of the best ways to write plain English is to write it as if you were having a conversation? Uh, yeah, that is one way of doing it. Um, the 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 problem is if you do that exactly is uh, slang, uh, things like that, True. which when are written. Uh, can be confusing, so so the, there are things to watch out there, but there are all, it's important to be uh, personal. Um, you know, use things like I, we, and th uh, rather than long names, because mm. uh, very official letters um, can come across as intimidating, and yes. people uh, can be very uh, become very anxious because of that, and that's not good, because that makes your company or your organisation. Uh, maybe seem overbearing when they don't mean to be. Um, but having said that, when if it's a, a demand for a bill, you have to be a bit more uh, forceful. So, so it's 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 trying to imagine that you are sat there explaining something to somebody else, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, try and uh, get the uh, the desired feeling across as well. Right. That, I think that makes sense. Um, Does it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so obviously uh, other parts of the Plain English Awards actually give awards out to clear documents, and one of those awards goes to, um, goes to a government document, an internal government document. Uh, what was the winner of that one this year? Uh, the, there was a few. Uh, the, the sort of Department of... Uh, uh, no, let me see now. I can't, I'm... Uh... I've got them in front of me. I haven't seen them recently. Oh, yeah, the Department for Work and Pensions. I, I oh, believe right. they won one for uh, their, their internal magazine. Uh, uh, there were there were one or two others as well, uh, the Government Car and Dispatch Agency. I mean, uh, HM Prison Service. Uh, I mean, like, I didn't actually judge these, so, so it would right. be unfair for me to comment on them, really. Fair enough. I mean, yeah. um, I, I personally have done a little bit of work in the public service here in Australia, Right. And um, some of the documents we had to sift through were absolutely unbelievable. I, there was one bit of paper that I had to sign, uh, which was some equity statements, which apparently was trying to tell me that the department uh, believes in a fair go for everyone, except it really took them a whole page to explain that and mm -hmm. just didn't seem to make much sense to me. Yeah, the trouble is with internal documents is like in large organisations is that if 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 something's written very clearly that everybody can understand, it, it increases uh, the efficiency within the company. 
Mm. Um, now, we, we've seen uh, examples of uh, these things where they've just gone horribly wrong, and people have had to spend hours trying to work out what they're actually trying to say. But the other knock-on effect of this is, is if you're uh, seeing uh, documents all the time that are very complicated, is it encourages you to write like that as well. So mm. if you're writing to people outside the, uh, the organization, the general public, then you, you may find yourself uh, writing like that. Uh, so it has a knock-on effect as well. Yes, I mean, it's quite common, I find, with uh, things from the legal profession that it is full of legal jargon, which doesn't make sense to, to people outside of the law firm. Uh, they do sort of try to explain it sometimes, but often you have to ring them to clarify what they're actually trying to say. So I suppose, yeah, I suppose what you're getting at is that that might be fine when the people actually, you know, they will understand the terms, but when you have to communicate with someone outside of your firm, it goes well to explain the terms or at least simplify them. That's, that's exactly it. Right. Okay, well, how can people find out more about the Plain English campaign? Well, um, we, we have a website. That's, that's always the best place to start, which is at uh, www.plainenglish.co.uk. Uh, on there, there are all sorts of free guides and uh, things like that to letter writing, uh, uh, CVs, things like that. And uh, we also have uh, a, a mailing list that people can join and we can send out emails uh, of newsletters of things that we're up to at the time. We we get people sending stuff to us all the time which are funny or if they're application forms or letters that from companies we can get in touch with them and try and get something done about it. Right. Okay, well, thank you very much for that, Dave. No problem. That was Dave Smith from the Plain English Campaign. people of North Korea have decided that the best way to be indicted is via SMS. Now, that might seem slightly odd to you. It certainly seems slightly odd to me. Apparently, 75% of the population over there carry mobile phones, so apparently it will be efficient. In fact, prosecutors expect to save 158000 US dollars per year by going to the mobile phones. The only catch, to receive your indictments via mobile phone, you have to sign up for it. Britain's Prince Charles has rejected the title Charles III when he becomes the king. He instead wants to be known as King George IV. Why, you might ask. Well, he claims that the name Charles is tinged with so much sadness. Apparently, King Charles I was executed in 1649, beheaded, in fact, and Charles II was a disrespected womanizer. So, uh, very, very unusual uh, things happen in royal circles there. Now, Prince Charles was uh, christened Charles Philip Arthur George, and you thought my name was a mouthful. Uh, 
It is rather unusual, I'd have to say. Apparently, Camilla Parker Bowles, his uh, wife, has joined in the fun. She is apparently, once Charles uh, becomes the king, going to be known as Princess Consort. Yes, Princess Consort. Of all the names you could choose, I mean, how pompous. Who, in their right mind, would go around calling themselves Princess Consort? Uh, Now, dictionary... uh, Definitions claim that uh, consort is a husband or wife, especially the spouse of a monarch. Now, I can understand someone being called someone's consort. She might be Charles's consort, but going around calling yourself princess consort, I do have to wonder. Prince Charles denies all of the claims, though. He says that uh, it's all just uh, speculation uh, by some anonymous people who really don't know what they're on about. Mind you, two people said that he would be called King George, whilst only one person says that he will be King Charles. So, democratically, he'd have to be King George, although democracy isn't entirely favoured over in um, over there in uh, England in in the monarchy. It's very much a bit of an undemocratic process as to who becomes king and who doesn't. Mind you, the Hindustan Times have had their rather unusual take on this, of course, uh, under the title, What's in a Name? They wrote, The reported wish of Prince Charles to be called George when he becomes king has drawn some unasked-for quips. One calls it a bizarre wish. The name Charles was decidedly unlucky. One King Charles lost his head. He was beheaded. The other spent 18 years in exile. But, says this commentator, that the Georges, at least not most of them, have an unblemished record. Now, Georges, apparently, the first never bothered to learn English. The second laughed gleefully when his son was struck dead by a cricket ball. The third went bonkers, and the fourth locked his wife out of his own coronation. You do have to wonder, don't you? Well, we better have a look at some of the listener feedback, if I can call it that in the first episode. Of course, if you'd like to send me an email, you can podcast at samuelgordonstuart.com. You can also use that address if you want to ask uh, ask any of the guests a question. I'll do my best to get those questions answered for you. Now, Kane writes, uh, do you need an iPod to listen to podcasts or can you download them to your hard drive? If so, what file extension do they use? Well, Kane has indeed raised a very good point there because the term podcast is very, very misleading considering that uh, podcast, well, really has very little to do with an iPod. The fact of the matter is a podcast can be listened to on practically anything. Uh, Now, most podcasts uh, use MP3 files, of course. Some do use others. Of course, MP3s being the most prevalent there. But, yeah, you can just download them to wherever you want. You can listen to them wherever you want. On your computer, on a personal uh, portable media player, such as an iPod uh, or some other MP3 player. I mean, really, the term podcast has got absolutely nothing to do with the iPod. It's one of the most misleading terms I've uh, heard in in computer terminology for quite a while, and really, it does annoy me, but... Nonetheless, uh, it's the term that's used for it, so I guess we just have to go off the flow to that extent. 
And, uh, of course, if you do want to send me an email, podcast at samuelgordonstuart.com is the email address. All the emails are, of course, welcome, and I look forward to hearing from you. One of the interesting phenomenons of the radio industry is the way some people can work behind the scenes and never be known by the public, whilst others can present programs and become household names. Another interesting thing is the way people can move from one occupation to another, seemingly unrelated occupation. One such person is Gary Floyd, who at one stage worked for Double J, now known as Triple J, and is now a school librarian who teaches IT. I'm pleased to be able to say that Gary joins me in the studio. Gary, welcome to the program. Thank you, Sam. So, how did you get into the radio? Well, uh, I guess I got into radio here in Canberra in working for public radio, 2XX. I was, uh, back in those days, I... I would guess I was a performer of some kind. I was, you know, writing songs and singing songs, and I, I got involved in the radio station because of putting a show together in which we presented local performers. So I saw that that would be a good thing to do. So we, we presented a show on 2XX called uh, Local Focal. Right. It was just a, a cute little name for a show. So, um, so this was back when they were on the ANU campus. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Liz O'Brien was the... Um, the manager in those days, and Maeve Wingate was working for them as well. And I, I learned from a fellow called Rob Parnell, who was a uh, an ANU figure and 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 was into radio and had a really strong interest in 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 music. And uh, he taught me and he taught a few, quite a few other people, I think, in the long run, right, how to work the radio. Right. So, uh, so was there some sort of career move for you? Did you decide that you wanted to be in radio or? Um, I'd always had an interest in radio, much as like yourself. Yes, I grew yes. up with um, AM radio when I was younger and, uh, you know, pop radio, hit parades, that sort of thing. And I took a great interest in, in uh, disc jockeys in those days. Uh, but as I said, I, um, I was more of a performer. I was working here in Canberra, came to Canberra and worked in the public service, but I was also you know, doing some um, performance and singing and so on. And uh, it just seemed like a, a natural adjunct to, to, to perform on the air. Right. Mm. So I understand that at one stage, uh, 2CA allowed you into their studios for some recording. Well, that's right. I, I can distinctly remember going to 2CA studio in Northbourne Avenue and, um, and doing some recordings of my compositions at the time and I was they were stunning recordings. They were just done very quickly in a great looking studio, very, you know, rich with knobs and, you know, just <laughs> elaborate te- uh, technology for the time. I'm talking about the mid seventies. Yeah. And uh the recordings, you know, came out really well. Hmm. So um so what made you move to Double J? Well uh Double J had begun in, in a little bit earlier. Um, I had friends who'd moved to Sydney who I'd known particularly in performance here in Canberra and by uh, a process of um, recommendations I, I got invited to, to send a, a, an audition tape to uh, Double J. To a, a fellow I met was called Marius Webb. He was a, um, one of the... the uh, first people to to organise Double J in those days. Uh, the manager in those uh, at that time though was Ros Cheney. She right. was uh, the person who in fact gave me some work. Um, so 
to begin with, I was given a slot, uh, a regular slot, which was kind of an audition sh- slot for people involved in public radio. Right. Uh, so they had this, this slot on a Sunday night. It actually followed Glenn A. Baker. Mm-hmm. Glenn A. Baker was doing a wonderful show in those days um, of, um, you know, rock memories and, you know, themed shows and about, uh, you know, history of pop music and so on. And he continues to do today to be, you know, well, he won Rock Brain of the Universe competition at one point. <laughs> so he's still a, a, a figure in the Australian um, music scene. Uh, so I did those shows for a bit and um, <clears throat> eventually I got uh, given uh, the opportunity to do some midnight to dawn shifts um, when um, the, the person doing them at the time, Gail Austin, went on holidays or went on, you know, long service leave or something for a long time. So I was involved in doing some midnight to dawn shifts. Um, and that was about it. That's what I did at Triple J. Right. Um, I didn't get much f- further than that. I didn't really persevere. Um, I, uh, I was perhaps doing some other things at the time. Um, I had done a, grad, uh, a d- graduate diploma of education. Right, so, so that's why you moved that into time. teaching. Um, yeah, that's right. I, um, I decided that teaching might be um, some, you know, a long-term occupation, which it's proven yeah. to be. Mm. And um, you know, I settled down. I came back to Canberra and... Um, the first job I got, uh, I, I had qualified as, a, as an English teacher, but I'd also done some media studies you know, as part of that qualification. I'd previously had a degree in economics, so it was completely you know, off in another direction. And um, so the first job I got was as a media studies teacher. Right. And so I spent quite a number of years being a media studies teacher, teach, teaching radio, uh, um, print media, um, you know, Super 8 film, you know, sort of early video production, television analysis, that sort of thing. So I suppose to some extent your radio experience helped you in that role because you could sort of go beyond the textbook and teach from your own experience. Well, that's exactly right. You know, in those days, you know, I was teaching at Canberra College and the colleges had radio studios that they'd got from, you know, various sources and could, could, could broadcast across the school um, but we set up other studios. We set up various production areas, you know, to to do that. And um, yeah, I mean, I found that very, very useful. That's how I got that job. You know, I could say, well, I've got this experience. I mean, another thing I did with Two Double X was work on the Two Double X magazine at the time, which was called Communique, yeah. and we produced a lot of good magazines. <laughs> uh, and I got a lot of experience, you know, compositing, you know, creating magazines yeah. as well. Uh, so, um, you know, this is what happens in life. You know, you use your experience to, to go further in one direction or another. I didn't have any desire to send a kind of an audition tape to um, a commercial radio station in those mm. days. I mean, ideologically, I didn't really feel comfortable with that. Um, so there wasn't a lot of options for me. Yeah. I mean, later I did audition, do an interview for ABC Radio, and you know, show an interest in in getting involved in ABC Radio, but I didn't get very far with that. Mm. Well, if I may say so, you do have quite a voice for radio. It's uh, very deep and well pronounced. Oh, thank you, Samuel. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, obviously, radio has uh, changed 
quite a bit since you were working for Double J and Two Double X. Obviously, being outside the industry now, you you might not have seen a lot of those changes. But of those that you that you may know of, do you think that they've worked uh, to the advantage or to the detriment of radio? Well, radio is continuing to develop um, very well. I mean, I am a great listener to radio. I listen to, I mean, Radio National, the ABC Radio National is what I tend to listen to, but I listen to, uh, um, you know, pop radio from time to time and, you know, public radio. I mean, uh, there are ver- various public radio stations in Canberra, as, mm-hmm. as we know, TWX and, um, you know, Art Sound and so on, you know, country, uh, Queen Bean Country Music, and it just goes on and on. Um, back in my day, yeah, we did make a lot of, um, effort out of you know spinning records and queuing tracks and holding discs back and then letting them go and talking over the beginnings and so on, and we did have cartridges that we'd recorded so that you could record a um, you know a, a fifteen second track you know it was basically a looped uh, a tape loop that you could just play over fifteen seconds or one minute or or two minutes. I did a lot of promos, particularly at, at two double X. You know, for various sorts of things, I recorded some songs for to support uh, various movements. So mm. I got a, you know a lot of experience playing around with that sort of thing. Mm. Well, um, I mean, now I suppose that you could say in some way that the people who are are introducing the songs don't even really need to know the song because they can see on the screen how long they have until the vocals start. So they get to cheat in a way there. Yeah, well, I can imagine. Exactly, that's the case. I mean, I can, you know, from time to time, I think when I'm listening to the radio, oh yeah, people are reading that off a screen, and they've been cued by their production people behind the scenes who are just writing things up on a screen, and uh, and it's just very handy. Hmm. Um, but you know, I imagine radio. I would say it's much better now than it ever was. It just will get better and better. So, what do you think? Uh, think has made it better? Um. What's better about it? Well, there's more choice, for one thing. Um, you know, t- technology-wise, I mean, you've had the introduction of FM, which has made you know, better quality, mm. uh, greater reach, of course. I mean, when you considered Double J at the time, when I worked on it, it only got into other states from midnight to dawn anyway. Mm. Uh so you it wasn't co- until they went FM that they went national. So yes, in some ways you were you were the only national voice they had at the time. <laughs> well, that's that's right, but only for the times that I was on. Yeah, yes. that's right. Yes. But uh, it coincided with the times that people could hear it. I remember my mm. my dear old mother uh, telling me that she heard me in Darwin <laughs> when she was travelling around Australia. People hear me in Darwin uh, via Top FM. Or perhaps it's Territory FM. I think they changed their name recently. Who, uh, who do run Australian Independent Radio News? Who I work for. Right. Good. Mm. Well, so, that's fantastic. So we have yeah. something in common there. You were oh, heard in good. Darwin, and I'm still heard there. Yeah. Well, you're probably heard in um, in Paris. Well, with this, I might well be. Yeah. If anyone's uh, <laughs> listening from Paris, you can send me an email to podcast at samuelgordonstuart dot com. <laughs> well, good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so. Obviously, you uh, you moved to teaching because that was a, a career choice of yours, uh, a long-term career choice, but 
was it the English qualifications that this that made you decide to move into being a librarian? Um, I uh, I worked in teaching for quite a number of years, um, and it it is a very um, grueling and wearing um, experience. Uh, I uh, I was really enjoying what I was doing, you know, teaching media studies. So it was, I felt that I was pouring a lot of my own creativity into the teaching of creative mm. pursuits in the in the media. Um, but eventually, I I looked around for 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 other options, and um, I've always been interested in libraries. So, uh, you know, in my latter years, after a you know, sort of midlife crisis. I re- I trained as a a librarian, which is a graduate l- a diploma of library and information management. Right. Because you know that's what it's about. If managing it had, information. If it had something to do with your <coughs> midlife crisis, was it because you saw a, a book in the library which had a red car on the front, or or some <laughs> other related thing? <laughs> Uh, not so. Um, no, I didn't no, go the mid, mid car, uh, the red car um, uh, route. But I mean, it, it's it's part of the same thing. You look around for um, another stage mm. that will gives you some options, yeah. opens your options up. Um, and uh, I, I worked in radio for a while. Oh, sorry, sorry. Um, in in school libraries for a while right. after that. Um, I must you're, say, you're I could say there, that. Aren't you? Yeah, well, that's yes, right. Yes. I'm still I'm still working in the school library, but I've taken to um, also teaching IT. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, oh, that's another move. Why IT? Well, um, I, I I guess I, I in the course of doing the library qualification, you do study IT um, mm-hmm. formally. Now that's over ten years ago now, mm. but you know we we did I, in the course of that period of study, and that was a year, um, things which introduced systems analysis, that mm-hmm. sort of thing, yeah. as well as lots of applications. So I became much more used to that. I mean, it was early internet yeah. usage, telnet, early telnet mm. to other libraries around the world. Yeah. So libraries are, have always been at the cutting edge of yeah. um, technology yes. in that sense. Yeah. It's uh, It's... It's a rather interesting field to work in sometimes in the, the people you meet. Obviously, uh, being a school library, you would get to uh, know a lot of the students very well, get to get to chat with them a bit, and sort of you do meet a, a very interesting and diverse bunch of people, don't you? Absolutely. Um, I mean, it's a factor of where you work, of course, but I work in a government um, college system in Canberra, right. and... Uh, we get enormous range of personnel, particularly um, we've got uh, the school that I work at has got also got the secondary int- introductory English centre right. with sort of yeah. many many you know refugees and migrants who've come to Australia hmm. there as well, um, so very broad cultural experience and it's hmm. one I really love. Yes. You know, I've really enjoyed it very much. I mean, uh, we were discussing before the show uh, just how diverse different cultures can be. Uh, you were giving me an example about uh, the way different countries uh, treat their coffee. I, I was. I, yeah. Yeah, we were talking about coffee since you're a, a renowned coffee drinker. Mm. 
Yes. yes. So, um, would you like to share with the audience that uh, particular story? Well, that particular story was just related to a, a former friend of my son's who um, came back from Croatia where she was visiting relatives and, and just uh, surprised me by saying that over there... Uh, of course, they always have great coffee, or you know, Europeans have made great coffee for a very long time. But it's a bit of a status symbol to ask for a Ness mm. in a cafe. Mm. You simply add for a Ness, which is short for Ness Cafe, which mm. is short for an instant coffee. Yes, which so uh, they like their instant coffee there. Yeah, which is very surprising because here, if if you were to go into a, a cafe here and ask for instant coffee, they'd probably give you a strange look and, and escort you out of the building. <laughs> Well, they'd say, yes, you don't need to buy it here. Um, <laughs> There's a supermarket, supermarket on the corner. That's right, yeah. 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 Um, well, I, around this time of year, I mean, uh, it's, it's just coming up to the end of December and the beginning of January, so people have probably just made uh, decisions about school enrolments for the next year, and you work in the public system, and they, a lot of people have had to choose between sending their children to public and private schools. So, being in the public system, how do you see the, the differences there? Uh, what do you think makes the, the public system's education uh, different and better, or worse, depending on how you feel, compared to the private system? Well, I guess from my point of view, uh, I've had both my children go through you know, the, uh, straight through the government system into colleges and so on. Uh, I've been very pleased with their education. You know, uh, I mean, if I'd, if I'd been able to pay the money... No, I don't think I would have sent them to another school, but uh, I imagine, you know, in, in private schools they can get a very good education as well. But mm. I do know that, the, you know, the commitment of te teachers in the government system is very high and... <clears throat> You know, the range of areas of study are broad and strong. Mm. Um, there's also the fact that people meet a wide range of students. You know, mm. uh, college system, you know, government schools cannot turn students away. Mm. They are the, the schools of last resort. If you're in the area, you go to that school. Right. So um, you see a broad, you know, kind of uh, range of, of students and... Um, uh, you, you know, you can see it functioning pretty damn well. I would mm. say yeah. as a as a rich cultural experience. Yeah, the um, New South Wales government, for the international audience, New South Wales being the state where Sydney is located, um, the New South Wales government put out figures uh, over the over the last week or so, which stated that the public system had done uh, incredibly well in in the HSC results. Uh, they, they are, of course, trying not to release figures that compare schools to other schools, but they were very proud of the fact that their public schools had performed exceptionally well compared to the private schools. Hmm. Um, yeah, I don't doubt that, 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 you know, evidence can show that. I mean, one point I feel is that uh, the college system and the ACT does prepare students very well for later study. Mm, it's sort uh, of a, a halfway between high school and uh, tertiary in, well, in some ways. Yes, um, there's a certain amount of autonomy students have. I mean, you know, we keep a very close eye on how they're proceeding and so on, but mm. they do have to organise themselves 
you know, well to, to get together deadlines of, of, of reports and essays and talks and so on. And uh, my understanding is that students who go through the, the uh, ACT college system come out um, as very able, you know, for later students. Mm, well, I believe that's what the, uh, the universities do report. Mm. Mm. All right, well, uh, it's been absolutely fascinating talking with you and uh, hopefully we'll keep in contact. Gary Floyd, thank you for coming on the program. Thank you, Samuel. That was Gary Floyd, a teacher librarian as well as an IT teacher who at one stage worked at Double J. This is Samuel's Persiflage. Well, we might have a little bit of a look at some of the other news floating about at the moment. Earbud headphones can cause hearing loss, experts warn. Now, when I read this story just the other day, I was certain I was having deja vu because I could be certain I saw the same story a couple months back, but uh, I suppose if all the experts are saying it, then uh, so be it. Uh, I suppose it's common sense, really. Earbud headphones do go further into the ear and therefore are closer to the ear, but, yeah, eardrum, rather. But, uh, now, apparently studies have shown that because the tiny phones inserted into the ears are not as efficient at blocking outside sounds as the cushioned headsets, users tend to crank up the volume to compensate. And, of course, the louder it is, the, uh, well, the worse your hearing loss can be. Now, hearing advocates are pressing for people to turn down the volume, the rule of thumb suggested by researchers at Boston Children's Hospital is to hold the volume of a music player at no higher than 60% of the maximum and use it for only about an hour a day. Now, apparently, with these earbuds, people are often listening at volumes of 110 to 120 decibels. Now, I mean, that's up at lawnmower volume. Uh, it's just unbelievable. Now, experts really recommend that instead of wearing the earbuds, uh, you wear proper earphones, which, uh, of course, actually block out some of the outside noise, and in my view are more comfortable anyway, because the earbuds, uh, I won't use them because they just irritate my ears. Uh, a good news story, of course, is uh, coming in. We do have one good news story this week. Uh, Dell trialling Mozilla Firefox in on PCs. Apparently in the UK, Dell Corporation are shipping PCs with Mozilla Firefox pre-installed and set as the default browser. Now, this is absolutely fantastic news. The less we have to put up with the Internet Explorer, the better. So uh, congratulations to Dell. Hopefully they'll extend that into the US and other markets soon. And it's really a win for open source software that some people claimed wouldn't go anywhere. Microsoft must be shaking in their boots, and that's just the way we like it. Well, that's it for this episode of Samuel's Persiflage. I hope you've enjoyed it. I know I did. Good fun, actually, and uh, I look forward to doing the next one. Uh, if you do want to respond or comment uh, on anything that you've heard during the show or, or want to ask one of our guests, uh, be it Dave Smith from the Plain English Campaign or, or Gary Floyd, uh, a question, then you can send your emails to podcast at samuelgordonstuart.com. 
I'm more than happy to receive your emails and uh, if you're lucky I might just read it out and reply to it. Uh, I don't know if I can really call this on air. So. Well, why not? I'll reply to it on air. I hope you've enjoyed the show. I'll be back again next time. Uh, not entirely sure when yet. I haven't quite worked out the regularity of this. Probably be back uh, in a couple weeks. Uh, we'll see how we go. Uh, hopefully sometime soon we'll talk with radio historian Wayne Mack, who's uh, just going to release a book very, very soon uh, called Don't Touch That Dial, The Hits and Memories of Australian Radio. It should be absolutely fantastic and look forward to talking to Wayne sometime about that. Hopefully we can uh, get that arranged. Well, I hope you've enjoyed the show. I know I have. I'm Samuel Gordon-Stewart, and until next time, from me and, well, I'm probably the only person here at Samuel's Persiflage, until next time, ta-da!